Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Debilis, decided on November 21, 2023. Wilson, Chief Judge. The right to the effective assistance of counsel is guaranteed by both the federal and state constitution and constitutes an essential ingredient in our system of criminal jurisprudence, rooted deeply in our concept of a fair trial within the adversarial context, People v. Benevento, quoting People v. Felder. Here, counsel failed to request a charge on the only defense supported by the trial testimony, instead seeking, and failing to obtain, a charge foreclosed by the trial testimony. Therefore, Mr. Debelis's conviction must be reversed and a new trial ordered. Anthony Debelis was stopped while driving a friend's car with an expired registration on the Bronx River Parkway. When the officer asked Mr. Debelis for his license and registration, Mr. Debelis provided neither. Instead, he pulled his hand out of his jacket pocket, revealing a magazine clip, at which point the officer had Mr. Debelis exit the car. The officer's frisk of Mr. Debelis produced nothing, when the officer asked Mr. Debelis if there were weapons in the car. Mr. Debelis said there were not. The officer searched the car, found a bag with more ammunition and a holster, and asked Mr. Debelis what he was doing with that. Mr. Debelis said he'd had a fight with his wife and left in a hurry with the bag. On further questioning, Mr. Debelis said he had a permit that had been revoked. Mr. Debelis also provided his brother's name to the police officer rather than his own. A lieutenant arrived and questioned Mr. Debelis. The lieutenant also searched the car, finding nothing additional. Because Mr. Debelis was unable to get in touch with the registered owner of the vehicle, the police decided the car would be towed. While waiting for the tow truck, Mr. Debelis asked if he could retrieve his phone charger from the car. The officer allowed him to do so, and observed him fiddling under the front seat, though the charger was visible on the passenger seat. The officer then returned to the car to examine the area that Mr. Debelis had been reaching into and recovered a gun from the area under the front seat. Mr. Debelis was then placed under arrest. In total, the stop took about two hours. The officer testified that Mr. Debelis was not in any way threatening during this time. The entire two-hour encounter appears on the dash cam video, which is part of the record. Mr. Debelis was charged with criminal possession of a weapon, PL 265.033. During opening statements at trial, defense counsel set out the facts that he intended to prove to establish Mr. Debelis's defense. Mr. Debelis's wife threw him out of the house because he was broken not earning any money. So, in a fit of desperation, Mr. Debelis took the gun and ammunition for a perfectly legitimate reason. He was taking that gun and everything else to bring to a local police department to turn it in because he was broken because he was desperate and because he had an argument with his wife and he was going to turn it in to get a gift card for turning in weapons. At trial, both Mr. Debelis and defense counsel admitted that Mr. Debelis had possessed the weapon without a valid license. Mr. Debelis was arrested in November 2016 for misdemeanor violation of the terms of his firearm license, and pled guilty in March 2017, 18 months before his arrest in this case. In addition, Mr. Debelis was subject to an order of protection, dated 14 months before his arrest in this case, that required him to turn in all firearms. Mr. Debelis admitted that he did not do so, instead leaving the weapon in a safe in the home where his wife and children lived. However, Mr. Debelis's testimony supported his attorney's opening statement as to his defense, that he was taking the gun to surrender it voluntarily pursuant to a gun buyback program. 
Mr. Debelis testified that he had been a long-time maintenance worker for the court system, but became addicted to opioids when prescribed them after a car accident which crushed his hand and fingers. As a result of the financial, legal, and marital problems caused by his addiction, at the time of his arrest he was living in the Bronx with his mother. Mr. Debelis testified that on the day of his arrest, he went to the home in Carmel where his wife and two children lived to help plan his son's birthday. Mr. Debelis admitted he was barred from the home by an order of protection, although he clarified that the order did not concern violence against his children or family. According to Mr. Debelis, while he was at the home he and his wife got into an argument about finances, so he took the gun with the intent of bringing it to the Bronx to turn it over to the police through a gun buyback program. Mr. Debelis testified that he had researched gun buyback programs and believed the NYPD program would let him turn in the gun for cash or a gift card. He stated that he was desperate due to his marital and financial issues and that this was the only way he could think of to get money. Defense counsel asked for a jury charge of temporary and lawful possession. The court refused to give that charge to the jury because Mr. Debelis' possession was not temporary. Mr. Debelis had admitted that he had the gun for over a year after his license was revoked and temporary and lawful possession requires that the defendant possess the gun only long enough to dispose of it safely, criminal jury instructions, possession, temporary and lawful possession, see People v. Williams. Defense counsel did not request a charge for voluntary surrender under Penal Law 265.20, a, 1, which immunizes from prosecution for criminal possession of a weapon persons turning in a weapon in accordance with such terms and conditions as may be established by a police force or department. Instead, after the trial court refused to charge the jury on temporary and lawful possession, defense counsel apparently aimed his closing argument at jury nullification. The jury, having been presented with uncontested evidence that Mr. Debelis possessed a weapon without a license and no instruction on any defense, convicted him of second-degree criminal possession of a weapon, third-degree criminal possession of a weapon, and criminal possession of a firearm. On appeal, Mr. Debelis argued that his counsel erred by requesting an instruction on temporary and lawful possession rather than the statutory defense of voluntary surrender, PL 265.20, A, 1, F, and that this deprived him of the effective assistance of counsel. The appellate division affirmed. In New York, the standard for effective assistance is meaningful representation by counsel, Benevento. Our standard is more protective than the federal standard because even in the absence of a reasonable probability of a different outcome, Inadequacy of counsel will still warrant reversal whenever a defendant is deprived of a fair trial, People v. Caban. To establish ineffective assistance, a defendant must demonstrate the absence of strategic or other legitimate explanations for counsel's allegedly deficient conduct, People v. Rivera. Even under the more demanding federal standard, an attorney's ignorance of a point of law that is fundamental to his case combined with his failure to perform basic research on that point is a quintessential example of unreasonable performance, Hinton v. Alabama. We have previously held that a failure to present a crucial defense supported by the evidence constitutes ineffective assistance. In People v. Nesbitt, the defendant was accused of assault in the first degree. Counsel informed the court on the record that he believed his client had no defense to the charge of first-degree assault, did not request the submission of second-degree assault as a lesser-included offense, and essentially conceded to the jury his client's guilt on the first-degree charge. However, the record afforded a good-faith basis for finding that the victim's injuries amounted only to second-degree assault. We held that counsel's error in overlooking that issue rendered his assistance to defendant ineffective. Here, counsel knew that his client's explanation was that he was traveling to turn the gun into the NYC gun buyback program. Indeed, in his opening statement, 
counsel admitted to the elements of the crime of criminal possession of a weapon and offered a defense, explaining that Mr. Dedralis, in desperate need of money, was transporting the gun to a police buyback program in the Bronx. However, after announcing that line of defense and supporting it through Mr. Debelis's trial testimony, counsel failed to request the only jury instruction that would give it any legal weight, a defense of voluntary surrender under PL 265.20, A, 1, F. Counsel premised his case instead on the common law defense of temporary and lawful possession, which was completely inapplicable given the length of time Mr. Debelis had possessed the weapon in contravention of a pre-existing court order that he had to divest himself of all firearms. Even after the court explicitly told counsel that that it would not instruct the jury on temporary and lawful possession because it did not fit the evidence, counsel failed to request an instruction on the statutory defense that fit his client's testimony and counsel's own argument to the jury. Voluntary surrender under PL 265.20, A, 1, F, applies to a person voluntarily surrendering a weapon to the police commissioner or designee of the city, town or a village in which the person resides in accordance with the terms and conditions established by the commissioner or designee. The purpose of this defense is to encourage persons with illegal firearms to turn them in, regardless of how long the person has had them, so as to enhance public safety by reducing the number of illegal weapons in circulation. Unlike the temporary and lawful possession defense, the voluntary surrender defense contains no time limit on possession of the illegal firearm. That difference was crucial to Mr. Debelis, who testified that he possessed the weapon unlawfully for over a year before deciding to surrender it voluntarily. Thus, Mr. Debelis' testimony precluded the defense of temporary and lawful possession. However, he would have been entitled to a jury charge on the statutory defense of voluntary surrender if requested by counsel. Mr. Debelis testified that he had researched the NYPD gun buyback program and was on his way to surrender his gun to police in the Bronx, the borough in which he then resided. There is no indication that this would have failed to comply with the terms and conditions of the NYPD gun return program. Although Mr. Debelis falsely told the officer that no weapon was located in the car, that falsehood does not deprive him of his right to have the trier of fact consider whether he was, in fact, on his way to trade the gun for money or a gift card at a buyback program, and did not disclose it to the officer because he was afraid or believed he would not receive any compensation. The jury, of course, would have had every right not to credit Mr. Debelis's testimony. But even if the trial court believed that Mr. Debelis's testimony was far-fetched, that cannot justify his lawyer's request for a meritless jury instruction instead of an instruction that fit the very theory of the case he announced in his opening statement when Mr. Debelis's testimony supported that, and only that, defense. Where evidence exists upon which the jury could reasonably find that a particular defense applies, questions as to the credibility of the defendant's testimony or inconsistencies in the evidence presented do not disentitle the defendant to an instruction on the defense, those questions of fact are to be resolved by the jury, see People v. Zona. Here, the dissent's identification of facts that could lead one to believe that Mr. Debelis's testimony was not credible makes out a good closing argument for the prosecution to make to the jury, which is exactly the point. The jury was deprived of the opportunity to determine which account was true because counsel failed to seek an instruction that would have made the determination legally relevant. Because the evidence, viewed in the light most favorable to the accused, sufficiently supported the claim defense, Mr. Debelis would have been entitled to a jury instruction on voluntary surrender, People v. Watts. That instruction would have allowed the jury to decide the case with proper consideration of the sole defense Mr. Debelis had advanced throughout the trial to justify his actions. To the extent that there was other trial evidence that contradicted Mr. Debelis's story, this also implicates the important distinction between the federal standard and our own. If the voluntary surrender defense was unlikely to succeed, 
Mr. Debelis could have difficulty showing prejudice under the federal standard. But when attorney error deprives a defendant of a jury charge on the only defense supported by the evidence, it cannot be said that the defendant received a fair trial. We do not require effective counsel merely to shield the seemingly innocent, but to protect the integrity of the judicial process by affording the, the worst criminal, the most culpable individual the same chance to be heard as the most blameless member of society, People v. Donovan. Because counsel failed to provide meaningful assistance, it does not matter whether Mr. Debelis can now show a reasonable probability of a different outcome, Kaban. Under New York's standard, Mr. Debelis was deprived of the effective assistance of counsel. Moreover, this is not a case of a defendant suggesting we confuse true ineffectiveness with mere losing tactics and accord undue significance to retrospective analysis, Benevento, quoting People v. Baldi. No reasonable strategy could have supported counsel's failure to request a jury charge on the statutory voluntary surrender defense while at the same time pursuing a meritless temporary and lawful possession defense. Voluntary surrender was the only defense applicable to Mr. Debelis's testimony and the very defense counsel alluded to in presenting the case. Instead of requesting this charge, after conceding all elements of the crime, counsel advanced no defense. Although counsel may have implicitly hoped for jury nullification, forfeiting the instruction that would have provided a legal basis for the exact defense supported by trial testimony and counsel's own argument to the jury cannot reflect a reasonable and legitimate strategy under the circumstances and evidence presented, Benevento. As our dissenting colleagues recognize, counsel convincingly portrayed defendant as a sympathetic individual attempting to comply with the law yet failed to request the instruction that would have identified the law with which Mr. Debelis was attempting to comply, leaving him bereft of a path to acquittal. Finally, we reject the suggestion that our standard of meaningful representation viewed in totality allows us to justify an effective performance on a core issue at trial via effective performance on ancillary pre-trial issues, Benevento, quoting Baldi. The fact that counsel presented a beneficial plea deal to Mr. Debelis before trial does not absolve counsel of the responsibility to provide meaningful representation at trial or to pursue the defense supported by Mr. Debelis's trial testimony. Because Mr. Debelis is entitled to a new trial due to ineffective assistance, we do not address Mr. Debelis's conflict of interest argument. The order of the appellate division should be reversed and a new trial ordered. Decided November 21, 2023. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law www.nypti.org slash law